Good morning. And those of you who are watching New City Live online right now, we're grateful to have you joining us today. Thanks for letting us be a part of your morning. I want to begin with an acknowledgement of something we celebrated this week, Veterans Day. If you uh, have served or are serving, would you stand so we can appreciate you and acknowledge you? For those of you watching online, I'm grateful for you as well. All right, awesome. Thank you guys. Thank you so much. And I'm going to ask all of you to stand now as we continue our Daniel series. We're going to read from the scriptures in Daniel chapter 8. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, you can be making your way there. And I'm going to open up here with just one verse that I'd love for us to read uh, together. It's actually the final verse of the second vision that we're going to be covering today in Daniel chapter 8. This is Daniel chapter 8, verse 27. Let's read it together. The word of God to you today. Then I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for several days. Afterward, I got up and performed my duties for the king, but I was greatly troubled by the vision and could not understand it. This is the final verse of the second vision that Daniel receives to the Lord, from the Lord. And I think he uh, sort of embodies and poses a question for us that many of us are feeling and experiencing today. And the question is, what do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when you don't know what to do? When you experience something, when you see something and you don't know what to make of it, how to understand it. Uh, when you're going through something in your life, which I know many of you are today, you're carrying things in here today that you're disappointed about, you're discouraged about, you're facing something this week, and you don't know what's going to happen, and frankly, you don't know what to do. What do we do as God's people when we don't know what to do? Well, Daniel gives us a glimpse out of this second vision of how to answer that. So we're going to come back to that question. I want to unpack the vision first. You may be seated. So just for context, uh, Daniel, the book of Daniel, if you're just joining us, the first half of Daniel is first-person historical narrative. So another way to say it is it's history. Uh, Daniel is sharing his memoirs with us. He's telling us what happened on his journey from Jerusalem to Babylon and everything in between. So the first six chapters of Daniel, the first half of the book, is history. It's uh, his memoirs, historical narrative. The second half of the book that we're in now is per, are prophetic visions. They're about the future. And there's four visions that Daniel receives from the Lord. We covered the first one last week, chapter 7. Uh, this week we're in the second vision, chapter 8. Uh, we'll be in chapter 9 next week, this beautiful prayer and vision that, the, uh, that Daniel receives from the Lord. And then the final vision is three chapters, chapters 10 through 12, that we'll cover on Thanksgiving weekend. Last week in the first vision, you'll remember uh, there was a, a lion with eagle's wings. Do you remember this? There was a lopsided bear with three ribs in its mouth. 
There was a, a leopard with four heads and four sets of eagle's wings. And then there was a, 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 a horrific beast that came out of the sea with 10 horns. And then another horn arose that we learned was the Antichrist. And I think we can all agree it was, it was weird. It, it was weird. And we asked the question out loud, what, what, what are we supposed to get out of this? What does it mean? And, 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 and why should I care about these prophetic visions that Daniel receives from the Lord about, about the end times? And one of the things that we talked about last week as we started this second part of Daniel, these prophetic visions, is that God gives us a glimpse of the future to remind us that he's in control today. In a world that seems, here's the bottom line truth from last week, if you remember, in a world that seems out of control, we're reminded through these visions that God is in control. He's in control of his world and he can be trusted. And you know, friends, sometimes I think God wants us to know something in our hearts so that we can sort through all the different things that are going on in our, our heads. The first vision ends this way, verse 28 in chapter 7. I kept this truth in my heart. I pondered this vision, even though I didn't understand it all, I, I, I kept this in my heart. And we talked about last week that Daniel's first vision is probably somewhere around 12 or 13 years before the lion's den, just to put it in order. And sometimes I think God gives us a truth early on that we may not even understand, but his word is, is put into our hearts so that something coming in the future, we're able to rightly handle that and understand it and walk through it. And that brings us to the, the second vision today, which is in chapter eight. If you're, if you're there with me, look at the first two verses. Daniel begins this way, chapter eight, verses one and two. During the third year of King Belshazzar's reign, I, Daniel, saw another vision following the one that had already appeared to me in chapter seven. In this vision, verse two, I was at the fortress of Susa in the province of Elam, standing beside the Ulai River. He gives a lot of details here, right? He puts it in historical context. This second vision comes two years after the first vision. And this is in the third year now of King Belshazzar. So somewhere around 550 BC. It's approximately 12 years before the lion's den and 55 years after Daniel was taken as a teenager from Jerusalem in chapter one. Daniel was probably, just to put it in your mind's eye, when we get to the second vision here, Daniel is probably around 70 years old when he experiences this vision. And again, it's 12 years before chapter six. Daniel is not written in chronological order. There's the first six chapters that are chronological in his memoirs, and then seven through 12 are these visions that happen in, um, inter intermittently throughout his experience. Interestingly as well, for context, chapters one through seven, some of you may know this, is, are, are written in Aramaic which was the modern day language of that time. Uh, Jesus actually uh, preached and spoke in Aramaic. He was bilingual. He, he did most of his uh, conversing in Aramaic and of course he knew Hebrew as well. Uh, chapters eight through 12 in the book of Daniel are written in Hebrew, the language of God's people. Again, interestingly, just, just as broad themes, chapters one through seven uh, namely deal with pagan empires, Babylon to begin with. And then last week we looked at these four different uh, Gentile empires and Aramaic was a Gentile language. Uh, chapter eight, things begin to shift and the focus is more on God's people and the future of God's people and it's written in Hebrew. 
Uh, and, and verse 2, uh, Daniel sets the, the place and the time, the geography. He says he was at the fortress of Susa. Susa was the capital of the Medo-Persian Empire, the ones that took over from Babylon. Uh, Susa was approximately, if you look uh, uh, at, a, at a map from the 4th and 5th centuries, Susa was about 200 miles east of Babylon, of modern-day Iraq. Uh, Susa is in, in modern-day Iran. Um, and so uh, Daniel says, that, Daniel wasn't there physically, but he says, in my vision, in the dream that God gave to me, I, I was there. And he gets even uh, more specific. He says, I was, I was in the province of Elam, uh, within the capital. And I was, even more specifically, I was standing by this, this river when God began to speak to me. Another interesting thing in context, if you're taking notes, is that our friend Gabriel appears again. Uh, the angel of God, the, the word, the name Gabriel means uh, God is a, uh, is a hero. Um, and so Gabriel is this hero figure. He's a, a messenger of the Lord as an angel, but he, he plays this his, uh, heroic role. And he appears all throughout the scriptures as God's messenger to God's people. And he appears here again in the second vision to try to uh, help Daniel understand what, what he's experiencing and seeing from, from God. So, so let's, jump, let's jump into the vision itself, if you're with me. Look at, look at verses 3 through 14, and you'll see the actual vision that's given uh, to Daniel, and he records it here. He says, I, I looked up and I saw a ram with two long horns standing beside this river, and one of the horns was longer than the other. Um, and, then, and then he says, this ram butted everything out of its, out of its way, from, from the west uh, to the north, to the south, no one could stand against him. Um, his victims were helpless, and he, he did as he pleased, and he, he became very great. Now, I'm going to give a little bit of interpretation as we go along as well. The interpretation to the dream or the vision is found in verses 15 through 26, as Gabriel begins to explain to Daniel what this vision means. But, but we can understand the ram rightly as the Medo-Persian Empire. So last week, the Medo-Persian Empire was the lopsided bear with three ribs in its mouth, representing its three major conquests of Babylon, Lydia, and Egypt. And now uh, the Medo-Persian Empire is represented by this ram uh, in the vision to Daniel. And it's got uh, two long horns. One was bigger than the other one, though, because the Medes were historically always more powerful than the Persians in that, um, in that empire, those, those two empires that came together to form the Medo-Persian Empire. And then there's a goat, right? There's a, there's, a, there's a goat that appears on the scene from the west in verse 5. And he's crossing the land really, really swiftly, conquering everything in its, in, in its path. And so uh, this is not Tom Brady in the scriptures here. This, is, this represents another type of goat. Uh, this, this is the, the, the Greek empire, and specifically Alexander the Great. Now, last week in the vision in chapter 7, the Greek empire uh, was represented by the four-headed leopard, uh, with four sets of eagle's wings. And we talked about the fact that uh, leopard is really fast. And if you know your history, uh, Alexander the Great conquered swiftly everything uh, in, 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 its, in his path. And so uh, Daniel's seen here this, this goat that's crossing the land and uh, he heads towards the ram, right? The goat and the ram are sort of at a, uh, in, a, in a standoff and, and, the, and the goat overwhelms the ram. So in other words, the Greek empire uh, overcomes the Medo-Persians. And of course that, that happened uh, in history. And the goat, you know, continues to, to, to move forward and he, at verse, look at verse eight, he becomes very powerful. 
And this is really interesting, though. But at the height of its power, uh, the, the height of uh, the, the goat's power, uh, the lar- his large horn was broken off. Now, what does that mean? What does that represent? So Alexander the Great, many of you know, uh, be- became the emperor of the, the Greek empire when his father Philip was murdered. And then he, you know, as a young man in his 20s, I believe it was 336 BC, he comes to power and he rules until his death in 323, um, so for 13 years. But he swiftly conquers all these different empires. No, nobody could stand, um, you know, in, in, in his way, but he dies at the height of his power, Alexander the Great does. And so when, when Daniel sees this, now again, Daniel is seeing this uh, somewhere around 550 BC. This is, this is long before the rise of the Greek empire and certainly of Alexander the Great, but he, he sees this vision, this, this prophecy um, with great specificity, the horns broken off representing Alexander's death. And out of the large horns place grew four prominent horns pointing in all four directions, verse eight. So when Alexander died at the height of his power, there were three different uh, or four different kings that sort of arose in his place and they divided the Greek empire into four different kingdoms. So these four different horns that Daniel sees, again, hundreds of years before this happens, uh, they, they come in Alexander's place and they extend uh, the compass, you know, north, south, east, and west. Now, here's where it gets kind of even more interesting, just by way of the vision and the interpretation of the vision, is that out of one of these horns, that one of these divisions of Alexander the Great's empire, the Greek empire, there came a, a desperately wicked king uh, a few generations later. And he begins to speak about this king here in, in the vision and in the interpretation as well. And in fact, the king uh, attacks everyone. In fact, in, in fact his, his power grows very great. Look at verse 9. And his power extends to the south and the east and even towards the land of Israel, which is really important. And in verse 10, it says that its powers reach the heavens where it attacked the heavenly army. So, so this, this, this king that comes out of, eventually out of Alexander the Great's four divisions attacks everybody, even Israel itself, and goes towards Jerusalem and even attacks God's army. Uh, but the, heaven, uh, the, the army of heaven, verse 12, is restrained. So, so somehow uh, God restrains the power of the armies of heaven and allows this king to have his rule and reign on earth before he's halted and eventually uh, overthrown. And, and, and Daniel, in his vision here, verse 13, here's two holy ones. We don't know if these are angels or, or who they are. They're talking about how long the events of this vision will last. In other words, how long will this rebellion and chaos, how long will this, this king who's overwhelmed everyone and is attacking God's people, how long will he rule and, and reign? How long will this go on and be allowed? Which is a question that many of us are asking. How long will this broken world last? How long will evil and evil forces in this world be allowed to to conquer and to succeed? And the answer that's given in the vision, verse 14, is that it will take 2,300 evenings and mornings, and then the temple will be made right again. Okay, so just by way of history, we know that uh, Antiochus Epiphanes was was this little horn that emerged that, that becomes this great power and goes to Israel and begins to... Uh, to persecute God's people. So the vision that Daniel saw so many years ago 
before uh, Alexander the Great and the rise of the Greek Empire, and then these four divisions, and then this one king that comes out, uh, he's seen with specificity what's going to happen. And we know now, looking backwards, that Antiochus Epiphanes was this great persecutor of God's people. He extends his power all the way to Jerusalem, and he makes a mockery of the temple. Look at verse 12 with me. Uh, It says that the daily sacrifice is going to be halted. Where's the daily sacrifice? It's in the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, The truth is going to be overthrown, underline that in your Bible. And this horn succeeded in everything that it did. And so did Antiochus Epiphanes, this king that arose eventually generations later out of Alexander the Great's four divisions. And he finds himself in Jerusalem, Antiochus does. And we know from history, extra biblical history, that Antiochus uh, burns the scriptures. He burns the Hebrew scriptures. Uh, We don't have many copies Um, of the Hebrew Testament before the 8th century. And many people believe that the reason why we have a a scarcity of original Hebrew text is because Antiochus, Epiphanes, this, this one that's prophesied here, burned them. He takes a pig into the temple. Now think about that. And he puts the pig on the altar, Antiochus does. He makes a mockery of truth. Look at verse 12. The truth will be overthrown by this by this king. Truth will be thrown to the ground. Moreover, he um, takes an object of worship to a Greek god, Zeus, into the holy of holies in the temple in Jerusalem. We know this again from extra biblical writings. And he persecutes, he kills the faithful Jews that are there worshiping in the temple. And and, uh, the Bible says here that it would be some 2,300 mornings and evenings representing the daily sacrifices in the temple before it would be restored. Well, guess what? When Antiochus Epiphanes uh, is killed, uh, when he dies, uh, Judas Maccabees and what would become the Maccabees restore the temple some six years later, just like the prophecy said. Uh, This vision, more than any of the other four visions, is disputed by many people because of its accuracy. Uh, In other words, how could Daniel have known this? How could he have recorded this with this specificity about Alexander the Great, the four divisions of the Greek Empire, Antiochus Epiphanes? Jesus talks about this, by the way, in Matthew 24, the abomination of desolation. He talks about this moment of Antiochus Epiphanes burning the scriptures, taking a pig into the temple, putting an object of worship to Zeus in um, in the Holy of Holies, truth being overthrown. And Antiochus Epiphanes, this one that's prophesied about this evil king, is a forerunner eventually to the Antichrist. And Jesus talks about this in Matthew 24. You can go read it for yourself. This is a vision, this second vision, The vision itself and its interpretation that's given in verses 15 through 26 by Gabriel. The vision and the interpretation is of a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of difficulty for God's people and terrible trials that are are coming for them. And just for a moment, let's put ourselves in our friend Daniel's shoes. Again, this is 12 years before the lion's den. So he's got his own difficulty that's coming personally. But let's go into his story, into his narrative. Daniel, when he's 15 years old, is taken from Jerusalem. And he sees the temple overthrown and burned. God's holy city, the city of David, Jerusalem, destroyed. 
And now, as a 70-year-old, 55 years later, uh, God's given him a vision about the future, about what's to come. And in the future, guess what's coming? Destruction, difficulty, pain for God's people. So as he looks to his past, there's difficulty. As God reveals the future, there's difficulty. And, and, And maybe for you, as you look to your past, there's pain and difficulty and disappointment. And as you look to the future, if God gave you a vision of the future like he's giving Daniel, maybe you would see confusion and difficulty, just like Daniel. And Daniel, it says here in the, in the passage, as, he's, as he receives the vision in between that and Gabriel coming and giving him the interpretation, he passes out. He's so overwhelmed by what you just heard that he, that he physically can't stand it, and he passes out. And Gabriel, this hero of God, comes and restores him physically and begins to explain what he's, what he's seeing. And then the, the vision ends this way. Let me read it to you again. Then I, Daniel, verse 27, I was overcome and I lay sick for several days. And afterward, I got up and I performed my duties for the king, but I was greatly troubled by the vision and I could not understand it. What do you do when you don't know what to do? God gives this revelation to Daniel, this this prophetic vision that's apocalyptic in nature. He's overwhelmed and he doesn't know what to do. And he gives us a a model, I think, in verse 27. If If you have your scriptures, just look at verse 27, circle it, underline it. He gives us an example of what do we do as Christ followers, As people who are following Jesus, what do we do when we don't know what to do in a broken world that seems full of pain and disappointment in our past and and even as we can see into the future? I want to share three things with you as we close today from this vision about what we can do when we don't know what to do as God's people. Because we get it straight here from verse 27 in chapter 8, Daniel's response to this prophetic vision about a ram and a goat and all the things to come. And here's the first one, okay? If you haven't started taking notes, I hope you'll take them right now. Acknowledge the pain. Look at verse 27, uh, the very first part of it, uh, letter A here. Then I, Daniel, was overcome and I lay sick for several days. What is Daniel's response to this vision that he doesn't understand, that he doesn't know what to do? He allows himself to be sick. He lays in bed. He allows himself to feel something. So many of us, when we don't know what to do, when we don't understand, when we're confused, when we're disappointed, we just get frenetic in our pace and we just try to do all kinds of things to fix it. And sometimes God doesn't want us to do something in response. Sometimes God wants us to feel something. We see the, I love this verse here because we see the humanity of Daniel, don't we? He was a person just like us. And so the first six chapters when we've been studying his life, it's easy to see Daniel as this larger than life figure, this this hero who always has the right answers and understands everything and responds perfectly. But then we get to these visions and he's overwhelmed. He physically passes out. He can't stand it. And then he says, after the end, Gabriel says, well, let me explain it to you. And he explains it to him. And then he lays in bed sick. I just felt terrible. I was overwhelmed. And Daniel, this is so important, guys. 
Daniel allows himself to grieve. The way through loss and pain and shame and confusion is grief. We're not a people that, that oftentimes will take the time to allow ourselves to feel something and to grieve it. And because we don't grieve properly, we never properly heal from those things in our lives. So Daniel says, my first, first thing I did when I, what do you do when you don't know what to do? I just laid in bed. I called in sick. I just said, you know what? I got, I got, to, I got to lay here and allow myself to feel something and physically rest. When's the last time that you felt sick to your stomach, appalled at something you saw or experienced in this broken world? There's plenty of candidates, right? Daniel's overwhelmed and he allows himself to feel that. I'm sick to my stomach. I can't go to work today. I'm just gonna lay in bed and feel this. I'm gonna let myself grieve for a moment. And then look at the second thing here. What do we do when we don't know what to do? Look at verse 27. He says, I was overcome. I lay sick for several days. And then circle that in your Bible afterward. But then that stopped. That period of grieving and feeling that, it stopped. And I got up and I performed my duties for the king. In other words, I went back to the work that God had clearly called me to. I continued the work, 27b. When we don't know, what do we do when we don't know what to do? What do we do? We go back to what God has told us to do. There's plenty of things that we don't understand, but there's also plenty of things that we do understand. I don't have to pray about whether I should love my neighbor. I don't have to pray and fast and seek the Lord about whether I should be kind to people. I don't have to pray about whether I should share Jesus with other people. I don't have to pray about whether I should be faithful to my wife. God has clearly revealed that to me. So when we want to know what God is saying, what do we do, guys? What do we do, New City? When we want to know what God is saying, we go back to what God has said. When I want to know what God is doing, what do we do? We go back to what God has done. Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And in a world that is constantly changing, God doesn't. And so when we don't know what to do, when we don't know what God is saying, we go back to what God has clearly said. And we respond to the revelation that God has made known to us. Now think about the different ways that God has revealed himself to us. Through creation, through the full counsel of God, his word, through Jesus, who was the ultimate word made flesh, that God took on flesh and dwelt among us to explain himself and reveal himself to us through the community of other Christ followers and fellowship with each other, through the power of the Holy Spirit that now resides in those of us who are Christ followers, God has made himself known to us. And in saying that, there are several things that we don't know. So when we don't know something, we go back to what we do know. When we want to know what God is doing, I go back to what God has done. 
Mark Twain said, I'm not troubled by the things in the Bible that I don't understand. I'm troubled by the things in the Bible that I do understand and are difficult. So sometimes our, our, our trouble, if you will, is not by the secret things of God that haven't been revealed. They're the things that have been revealed. And we need to be faithful to those things. We need to go and do the next godly thing in our life. The next godly decision, the next godly conversation, the next godly choice, that's what God is calling yourself to. And for so many of us, when we get to this place, um, like seemingly Daniel was for a moment, where he didn't understand, where he's, he's troubled, where he's overwhelmed, where he's sick to his, his stomach and lays in bed, he could have just laid there. But eventually he gets up, he shaves and he showers and he goes back to work and go, goes and does the thing that he knows that God has clearly called him to. Remember, Daniel has read Jeremiah 29 at this point. Jeremiah's letter to the exiles, that included Daniel. It included Jeremiah 29, verse 7, Seek the welfare of the city and pray the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. So what does Daniel do in a, in a moment where he doesn't know what to do? I'm going to go back to what God has clearly said. And for some of us, as you leave here today, that's exactly what you need to do. I'm going to go back, I'm going to go back to the last thing that I understood God to be telling me to do. I'm gonna go back to the word that God has revealed to me. What I do know of God, I'm gonna be faithful to that and obey what God has said to me and until he chooses to reveal more to me. Or maybe not, I'm gonna to choose to be faithful. Daniel goes back to work to what God has called him to do. And if you're in that same place, go back and do what God has clearly called you to do. Here's the final thing. What do we do when we don't know what to do? We acknowledge the pain, we, we continue the work, and then finally in verse 27, we embrace the mystery. Look at the last words here of this second vision. But I was greatly troubled by the vision. He's gonna remind us again, but this, this was troubling to me. I was greatly troubled, and then the last words, and could not understand it. I, 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 I could not make sense of it. The last phrase of chapter 8, this great prophetic vision, ends with Daniel going, I don't get it. I don't understand it. And for some of you, everyone watch this for a second, maybe you have a situation or something in your life right now that would end with that phrase. I, I, I know God is good. I know he's with me. I, I know he's going to work all things to good for those who love him. But, but I don't understand. I wonder what that is in your life where, where you would say, I, I, just, I just don't get it, God. I, I don't understand what's happening. I, I don't understand how you're gonna work all this out. And I want you to notice something here. When Daniel says again, I was troubled and I didn't understand it, God doesn't come down and say, what else do I have to do, Daniel? I mean, I sent Gabriel, I, I tried to tell you the interpretation. Come on, man, get with it. No, it, God doesn't work that way. God, God makes himself known here. Daniel says, I don't, I don't understand it all. I don't, I don't get it, I'm troubled by it. And God's still coming towards Daniel. We get, we get a, a glimpse of the heart of God. Daniel, in, in his finiteness, right, in his smallness, we, we see how small Daniel really is here in this vision. And we see how big God is. And God continuing to come towards us, 
even in mysteries and things that we don't understand. You know, we live in a world that we want to know everything right now. And if I don't know it, I'm going to pull my phone out and I'll find it. If you want to know like who the mayor of Cleveland was in 1946, I'll just, I'll, I'll get it to you in two seconds. I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you their name. We, we want to know everything. And when we, what we see here in this second vision are there are things that we're not going to understand or know. And we're responsible for being faithful with the things that we do know and trusting God with the things that we don't. Moses writes something of this in Deuteronomy 29, 29. I referenced it last week. Moses writes these words. He says, the Lord our God has secrets known to no one. There are things that God has in the recesses of his heart that no other person knows. And Moses writes, we are not accountable for those. But we and our children are accountable forever for all that he has revealed to us so that we may obey all the terms of these instructions. What is Moses saying? He's saying there's mystery. We're embracing that there's mystery and we're accountable for how God has chosen to reveal himself. The apostle Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. He says, now we see things imperfectly like puzzling reflections in a mirror but then, when is then? When we're in heaven, on, this side, on the other side of eternity, we'll see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely just as God knows me completely. The cry of the human heart, I'll finish here, is to know and to be known. And Paul says here that we see dimly now. We see imperfectly, like, like there's pieces of the puzzle that aren't on the table. Have you ever been doing a jigsaw puzzle and you're like, this isn't all gonna fit together. There's some pieces that just aren't on the table. But here's what I can see. Here's what I, what I know. And I, I can act off of that. And then Paul says, and here's the hope. There's coming a day in heaven on the other side of this world where you'll see everything, where you'll understand even as you're understood now, that the last word there in 1 uh, Corinthians 13, 12, Paul says, even as you're fully known now, God sees you fully now. He knows you now, your beginning and your end. What if we follow Daniel's example here in chapter eight? What if out of this vision where he says, I was, I was just overwhelmed, I didn't understand, we followed his example. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Bottom line, you, you acknowledge the pain. I acknowledge that this hurts, that I don't understand, that I, that I physically feel overwhelmed in my life right now and disappointed. And many of you are there and, and you need to acknowledge that. It's okay, God can handle that. But then continue the work that God's called you to. Specifically for Daniel, it was seek the welfare of the city. I'm still gonna show up to work and do what God has clearly called me to do. Go do the next godly thing in your life, whatever that looks like for you. And then finally, bottom line, embrace the mystery. Embrace that there are things we know about God, that he's revealed himself, and there are other mysteries that we just don't know that we won't know until we get to heaven. And in the, in the meantime, we can, we can trust him. We can walk with him. Acknowledge the pain, continue the work, and embrace the mystery. To Christ be the glory. Let's pray together.
Lord, you are good and your mercies endure forever. So we, we choose to worship you today for how you've revealed yourself to us, for how you have made yourself known to us, specifically through Jesus. As we look to Jesus, we see you, Father. As we know Jesus, we know you and we know your heart. So I pray for each of my friends today that you would help us to, just as Daniel did, to acknowledge the pain in our lives, the things that confuse us and disappoint us and make us physically ill, but help us to show up as well, to continue to work and to do the things that you've called us clearly to do in your word. And may we also embrace mystery, ultimately knowing that you're God and we're not that you are infinite and we are finite, that you're big and we're small, and we're reminded of that today. Give us the faith to do what you've called us to do, Lord, and the courage to leave this place and to do it. For your glory, amen. On the night-